to TP Trivia. Yeah, TP Trivia. Coming at you from encyclopedias in a world filled with so much media. We're getting back to the facts inside of yeah. Huh. Let me give you a hint. We got Tyler and Paxson. Knowledge is passion. Beyonce the baggins. Partners in mind and keepers of questions. Rebel rises of retention. TP trivia. TP TP trivia. Hello and welcome to Trivial Pursuits, the podcast all about mundane knowledge and interesting people. My name is Tyler and joining me as always, my fellow trivia master, Paxton Real. Paxton, how you feeling today, my man? I am feeling great after a full day of bopping to Mouse Rat, my favorite band. Ooh, a little tease to what's coming next. But before we get to that, if you're listening for the first time, a little background on us. We are together TP Trivia Masters. We have been hosting trivia throughout the country since 2017. We've done every single kind of event in every single kind of location. We've done birthday parties, engagement parties, events for Fortune 500 companies, bars, restaurants, you name it, we've done it. We love it all. And we're so excited to continue our trivia journey on this podcast here with you. All right. So Paxton, take us through the rules of trivia. Yes. Each week we will ask our guest 10 questions of increasing difficulty in a topic of their choosing. While those at home are always welcome to look up answers as we go along, our guests are not. If the guest gets all 10 points, though, we will flip the script on a future episode and they'll have the opportunity to come back and quiz one of us on a topic of our choosing. But our most important rule, as always, is to have fun. You gotta have fun, Pax. Absolutely. And speaking of fun, Tyler, introduce our guest today. We have a very, very fun topic today, a very fun guest. Our guest today is Danny Golub. She is a writer, an on-air host, and a stand-up comedian, and I have to say, an absolute connoisseur of our subject today. Danny, what is that subject? None other than Parks and Recreation, only the best show of all time, right? Dun-dun, 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 Yes. It's like one, one of, of the-, the few songs I could play on piano is that <laughs> intro. Ooh, that's already just dispensing the interesting facts. Uh, yes, we today our subject is going to be the classic NBC sitcom Parks and Recreation, Parks and Rec. We are very excited. This is a show that's near and dear to both Paxton and my heart, and especially near and dear to, to Danny's heart. We're going to start off with our quick rapid fire three. All right, here we go. Question one. What is the name of Leslie Nope's favorite diner? JJ's Diner. That is correct. That is correct. Question number two. Who is Ron Swanson's musical alter ego? Duke Silver, which is also, which is also my Wi-Fi password. Don't tell my neighbors. <laughs> <laughs> Once again, revealing more and more information already. I love it. Duke Silver is correct. The musical stylings of Duke Silver. Question number three. Question three, who said this? Leslie, I typed your symptoms into the thing up here and it says you could have networked co- network connectivity problems. Andy Dwyer. 
Andy Dwyer, yes. I will say, really, that's Chris Pratt improvising as Andy Dwyer right there. That is correct. We are three for three to start off, Danny. Yeah, I will say, you got through the first three. That always is a a load off the shoulders there. Uh, We're going to start first off uh, with just kind of your history with Parks and Rec, how you kind of first came to love the show, to watch the show, and then kind of how that fandom has progressed through the years. Gosh, yeah. I mean, it's been my favorite show at this point for as long as I can remember, right? It's I watched it before The Office, before any other of these like mockumentary-style shows like this show, and I found it when it was airing live on NBC. I think at the time I was in high school and was just living at my parents' house watching TV, and I came across this gem, and it was immediately the characters that I fell in love with, and I really felt like I got to grow up with them kind of like every phase of my life. I got to bring Parks and Rec along with me, whether that was high school, college, after college, traveling. I always had that as my constant wherever I was, whoever I was with. I got to watch the show. I mean, sadly, it's not on Netflix anymore, but you know, I could binge it on Peacock. And it's the kind of show that I just watch at all times. And it's my level of comfort. It's my safety blanket. They're my friends in my head and kind of in real life. Um, But yeah, it's just, it's been my favorite show for so long now that it's just a part of my identity. I think so many people, Tyler, you included, because we know each other. I think my name and Danny and my spirit is now synonymous with a lot of people who watch Parks and Rec and love Parks and Rec. And honestly, I, I couldn't love that more because it's always something to connect with other people about. Anyone who watches Parks who knows the characters, I feel like I automatically can be their friend because I'm like, oh, we got something we could talk about, you know? So media in. Yeah. Yeah. So that's, I mean, in short, my relationship with the show, I fell in love with it back in high school. It was one of the first shows I will say that I kind of discovered on my own. I think Mm. for a while when you're, you know, younger, you watch shows that your friends have told you about, that your parents have told you about. And I think it was the first show that I really like found on my own, created my own relationship with, and it's stuck with me ever since it really has. That's amazing. And, you know, I think what's so interesting about everything you just said is I think you're, you're speaking to almost, I feel like every single Parks and Rec fan in, in that of like everyone feels such a personal connection to the show uh, where, where they're not, it's not just about uh, what happens in the show. It's just about the feeling that you get from watching the show and from being with those, with those friends as you, as you call them. Yeah, hundred percent. I mean, I think the most interesting, most interesting thing about the show is the characters and just the connections that you make with these people. I think that's what separates a good show from a great show for me is the characters and the relationship that a viewer can create with these characters because they're all so relatable and you can see your, a little bit of yourself in every single one of them, which I think real, and, and everyone can see that a little bit of themselves in every single one of them. It's such a diverse cast, such different backgrounds, such, you know, different areas of comedy even. And so I think bringing them all together into one space was just like the perfect mix. So, yeah, it's been my been my favorite now forever. Totally, totally. Yeah, I mean, speaking of those characters and and seeing a little piece of of you and every one of them, which one would you say you are most like of the Parks and Rec cast? Yeah, I think I have a combination of two that is just so weird. But I'm some parts 
uh, Leslie Nope and some parts April. And I don't know mm. how those two are together. I mean, I think as you watch the show and you get closer to season seven and you see Leslie and April's relationship and how special it is, you can see that they actually are a lot more similar than you maybe would have thought if you were watching season one or two. But for me, it's those two characters. Like, I feel like there are parts of me that are so, I think I'm probably more Leslie. The people in my life that really know me think that I'm Leslie, but I think the people who know me on a deeper level have seen the April side of me as well. Right. right. Paxton, what do you think you are? Uh, that's, that's a tough one. I mean, I, 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 I would say that my spirit animal, although I'm not really anything like him is Andy Dwyer. Mm-hmm. I, at least that's who I aspire to be. <laughs> right, right. But, but realistically, I, I probably am am most most like actually the actor of I'm most like Adam Scott who who he really does play yes. himself in yeah. the show anyway yeah but that's I would probably say that that I've got some Rob Lowe in me probably for sure yeah, I mean you you got a little um, Ron Swanson in you with your woodworking that that's true that's true I so I'm probably a mixture of of Ron and 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 ben that's probably yeah i think that sounds about right ron and ben yeah. for you i feel feels about tyler right. now we need to hear yours i feel like yeah. i i think for me you know i i'd certainly identify a lot with andy and i feel like i grew up with andy and had and like by the time andy got to the end of the show and finally became more of a mature adult or how however mature andy can be uh i definitely feel like that's something i i uh empathize with uh uh, so I think it's Andy and also specifically the Andy and April relationship. I think that's something that Mads and my wife and I have like just all the things like that when they go to the hospital and all going through all the adult things like these are things I have felt before of like, oh, my God, we have bills now. Um, and so I feel I feel that and I feel that relationship. And then I also I will say I think they're while I am not as type A as as Leslie Nope, I think the people who know me will also uh, say that when I get excited about something, I have the same spirit of passion as Leslie Nope when it comes to like rallying the troops around that, that cause or whatever it is. You definitely won't take no for an answer. I can, I can attest (laughs) to that, uh, that quality that Leslie shares. And I'll also throw out that I, while not as clumsy, I would say that I do have some Jerry in me as well. <laughs> I, I think, think we, we all do. Yeah, we all have a little <laughs> yeah. Jerry. You know, what every was, time we fart, we're Jerry. I, I was thinking, Paxton, you were saying that you, you know, noticed that some of the characters are similar to themselves. And before we get too into like all of the, you know, Parks and Rec stuff, in a lot of interviews, they've all talked about how the characters are Venn diagrams with their real selves. Right. Mm-hmm. And I think that Mike Schur, the creator of the show, very carefully cast people to create these sort of Venn diagram character moments. And I think that's what calling it back to how I said these people are so relatable and you can kind of see yourself in all of them. It's because they are themselves in a way, you know, I think Nick Offerman is a woodworker and, you know, Rob Lowe really does care about his health and, you know, Amy Poehler really is passionate about the things that Leslie is passionate about. And so I think for so, and I think April, the character was created based on Aubrey Plaza. I yes. don't think that that was like something that they were just casting for. So I yeah. think- I think, I think her so and Tom them, too. Yeah, so I think so many of them, that's what makes the show so beautiful in my head because I think it's like, these are people. They just are put in this mundane situation, but it's really no different than any of us. And that's why so many of us can see ourselves in these people, I think. Yeah. And on that note about about uh, both, you know, the actors, the character the characters, but also being parts of themselves. You've actually had the privilege to, to meet a few of those, of those actors. 
I'm not mistaken. I uh, have, yeah. And so tell us, so you, you you told me a story a while ago about about when uh when you did meet them and uh, a very important contribution that you may have made to uh to their to their work. Can you tell us that story? Oh yes. So when I first graduated college, I mean, for me, I studied broadcast journalism in school, and the only option for me when I graduated was like I knew I wasn't going to become Joan Calamezzo right away. So <laughs> I wa- I wanted to I wanted to work in production, and I was like, okay, what company is that at? Duh, NBC, where all my favorite shows are from. Of course. So. I got like an assistant job at NBC and I was working for a pretty high up exec who was connected with all of these people with, with Mike Schur, with Amy Poehler. He had worked on all these projects with them and I, you know, couldn't believe the arm's length distance I had from the people that I'd looked up to my whole life now at this point. Um, And it, for my for my birthday, my boss said, I have a meeting for you, but the person can only meet at 6 a.m. And I went to the back lot at 6 a.m., went to this office that my boss had told me to go to, and I had an hour-long meeting at 6 a.m. with Mike Schur on my birthday, which was just crazy. And I got to just pick his brain, talk about Parks and Rec, talk about the industry, talk about you know all of the shows he's created and where so many of these ideas come from. So that was probably the first big Parks and Rec interaction I had. And then working at NBC at the time, the good place, uh, yeah, the good place was being filmed. And so Mike Sure was already, you know, on the lot, and he was in the process of working on um, making it with Leslie, who is um, Amy Poehler, and Nick Offerman, who played Ron. And so and they this were is their, on this is their craft, craft show. show, right? Yeah, yeah, which is still on NBC. Um, and it's not it's 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 pretty entertaining. I, I, I don't hate it. I've, yeah, I've watched a couple episodes, and just I mean, the chemistry there is is will never go away with the two of them. So totally. that's worth watching. Yeah, if you love Parks and Rec, like you're not gonna dislike watching Amy and Nick hang out. Right, so, right, no, no. Um, so even in the context of arts and crafts, which I also love, like so with Leslie, I mean, she loves scrapbooking. So, um, <laughs> anyway, yeah, they were working on that show, and I, I got the privilege and honor of sitting in a meeting with Amy Poehler and my boss and a bunch of other people. And I was like acting like a total freak during the whole meeting. She asked me, she's like, sweetheart, do you want pizza? Cause I was like shaking and being weird. I actually did get a photo with her after she was so kind. Like she was like, do you want to take a picture? Cause I think she could tell I was like unwell in her presence. <laughs> I like completely blacked out and hardly remember any of it, but I do remember them talking about the name for that project at the time. And they were calling it handmade project because everything was going to be handmade. And me and my like little PA moment, I was like, um, doesn't that kind of sound like Handmaid's Tale, the show on Hulu that's like really dark and twisted? And then they were like, you know what? That is not going to be the name of that show. We are going to go in a different direction because someone, I think it was like, so, like a woman had to speak up almost in that moment. And right. I was really glad I did. Um, and, that, and I obviously didn't pitch the name making it. They came up with that on their own, but they didn't call it Handmaid Project. I could take like maybe a hundredth of a credit for oh, that. Oh yeah, absolutely. <laughs> I, I think that's, I mean, you changed, you've changed the course of, you know, you yeah. society, one could say. Yeah, uh, no, I mean it's going to be in history books. So. Right, right. Yeah, there's an alternate timeline somewhere that just is not going well. I mean, maybe the show would have been canceled. Maybe it would have been, you know, True. canceled not just on air but canceled, like 2020 canceled. Right. So. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I do. It is nice though that you know they say don't meet your heroes, but I'm glad that you you got to, and that it was a good experience, and you know, totally. not, not the I think. I think that is such a thing I worried about with both Amy and Mike. I was so nervous to meet either of them. Once I found out my boss had such a working relationship with both of them and that I would be in meetings with them, um, I was really nervous that 
my bubble would be burst. You know, it's, you have those few people in your life, you know, my, what do you call it? The, if you could have dinner with any three people, who would it be? Amy and Mike are at that table for me. And so right. to actually get the privilege of meeting them was something that like, I will never forget, never take for granted. And the fact that they were as kind and gracious and willing to talk to me and hear me out as like a, what was I 22 at the time, 23, they were mm. so sweet. And I'll never forget it. Honestly, I don't know. I mean, oftentimes when you meet someone and they maybe aren't the best you chalk it up to them having a bad day. You know, not everybody's having a great day all the time, but I caught them both on great days and I couldn't be more grateful because now I tell everybody those stories. They're like my party trick. Question number four. What is the name of Ron's favorite steakhouse? Mulligan's. That is correct. Ding, ding, ding. Mulligan's Steakhouse, the dearly, dearly departed Mulligan's yeah. Steakhouse. Rest in peace, Mulligan's. Yes. R.I.P. What happened Mulligan. to all the steaks that were in there when it closed? <laughs> <laughs> we'll, we'll never know ron oh, that, <laughs> and then and, i mean that 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 episode also produced the the classic uh bacon and eggs i i, I don't think you i want to make sure you understood me there when i yeah. say all all but yep. yeah uh great line all right let's what's our next question though for you we all right so i want to i want to actually go back a little bit to uh to mike sure and and talk just kind of about the creation of the show and even maybe some of the things you got to talk to him about but i think what's been so clear in reading about the show and and, and watching the show over the years is how how much he was you know him and amy of course as well but uh was just a visionary behind the whole thing it had a very clear-cut vision about what he Mm -hmm. wanted to accomplish the tone he wanted to set uh at for the show he talks a lot about um being inspired by uh cheers the show cheers and and i think this show, as we were alluding to earlier, there's a sense of positivity and optimism, I think, that really separates it from a lot of the sitcoms around. Um, and yeah, and just what what was your experience in, in talking to him and kind of understanding kind of where he was coming from uh, in creating the show? Yeah, w- one of the questions I asked about was kind of about where this all came from, especially coming off The Office, which he worked on as well. And they did overlap for oh. a little bit. Yeah, they they did overlap for, I think, a couple of years um, of being on air. But I think he just talked about a show that didn't take itself too seriously, from what I remember, and a show that just... One of the things that I remember him talking about specifically that I thought was so cool that I really related to is that the most important relationship in the show was between two female friends. And Mm -hmm. I think Mm -hmm. that that is why so many people connect to it, because so often in television... And film, you have women who are, you know, pining after a guy or yeah. vice versa. And the the focus of the show really is Anne and Leslie, right? I think when it comes down to it, you have Leslie and Ben and Anne and Chris and April and Andy and all these relationships that are also romantic relationships. But I think the most important relationship, the foundation of the show is female friendship and a strong empowering female friendship where they just lift each other up, whether that's calling each other beautiful tropical fish or being there during tough times. I think that that was something that Mike and I talked about for a little bit. And I've heard him talk about again, that for me as a young woman watching the show, as someone who was aspiring to work in this field, as a someone who was, you know, just so inspired by these people to see that portrayed on a show was huge. And even during its time, I mean, we say during its time, it ended three years ago, but it started in 2009. And, you know, strong female friendships weren't as cool and trendy as they are now in 2009. It was 11 years ago. And so 
uh, almost 11 years, I think almost 12 years ago now. Um, so yeah, I think that that was one of the biggest things that I took away from my conversation with Mike is that as someone who's worked in the business for a really long time, he's worked on everything. I mean, I think his credits go back to like the Simpsons, like yeah. Mike sure has worked on so many, so many shows, so many projects. And so to see him really make that the forefront of a show was one of my favorite parts of it. And I think it was like hearing him say that made me realize how important that part of the show is. Yeah. And you could even expand that and make it a triumvirate and throw April in there as well, because then you see, I mean, the rise and fall of the relationship with April and, and, uh, and Leslie, but then also that, that constant back and forth between April and Anne to, to finally kind of get a little bit of closure there in the last season or, or, or see, yeah, season seven. I just feel like that too is yet another great message to send that we can get past differences that even, even if you hold something against someone, regardless of how petty it is, because April has those moments, uh, but she, she got past them and, and there, there is love there and appreciation for the differences in them even more so than the similarities. And and I think what you said too about not taking your, themselves seriously, Mike sure seems to be the the absolute expert when it comes to creating shows that not only don't take themselves seriously, but are also incredibly self-aware. And somehow while being self-aware, don't play into the they, he finds way to tweak the the games that are played, the improv kind of games that are played within the show um, and, and the patterns that are there without them becoming stale. Totally. What you were saying about female friendship, I, uh, you know, when the thing I think about uh, the female friendship, that, that kind of uh, friendship being shown on screen, right? Not, maybe not being as popular as it is now. And I think of something like Booksmart, which is a great movie. Mm. I love that movie. And you look at the way female friendship is portrayed in that movie, and it's so very similar, right, to what Leslie and Anne's relationship is, and they're constantly complimenting each other and building each other up, and they're each other's favorite yeah. person. Yeah, uh, they almost paved the way for that kind of narrative. I mean, I think yes. you can't you can't give them all the credit because there have been a ton of, of course, strong yeah. female friendships. But for me, at least, and I think for, you know, modern millennial kind of comedy, it really right. did. Um and I'm trying to think, there was one other thing Mike and I talked about, and I had to ask him about it, was his use of Easter eggs. I don't yeah, know mm-hmm. if you've watched The Good Place or if you've watched some of his other shows, but they were making The Good Place at the time when I spoke with him. And there are a ton of Parks and Rec Easter eggs in The Good Place, like Dennis Feinstein um, magazine, magazine advertisements, Swanson safes. There is yes. a JJ's diner menu and a Ponch burger menu at some point in the bad place, good place. And I think his use of Easter eggs, I just find so fun. I mean, I'm also a Taylor Swift fan and she's using Easter eggs. I think it's like very fun to do it in a way that's keeps the fans engaged and allows you to have some sort of communication with them without actually even saying it. So I thought it was a really nice nod to the parks and rec fans during the good place that we got like some little Easter eggs, which was fun. Yeah. We need Mike sure to become uh, a consultant for star Wars and various other uh, where, where they, they just hit it a little too on the nose or not enough. He seems to, yeah, find that sweet spot. Yeah, he really does. Question number five. 
What is the number of the lot that triggers the events of the entire series? Lot 48. Ding, ding, ding. That is correct. Lot 48 next to Anne's house. Next to Anne's house. So, uh, so speaking about like the Anne and Leslie relationship, and one of the things that I was reading about with the show is that the the pit, in so many ways, that's the inciting incident, right, of the entire show. And and yet they were very concerned about that becoming too much uh, of the focus of the show. And they kind of started to move away from it in season two. And I think one of the things that in re-watching the show that I have picked up on is how that that instance really does carry for like through like every every season it kind of there is a callback to it in some way uh even if it's not the main thrust of the season right even if she's trying to get elected or you know whatever it is there is there is still those callbacks my question for you i guess would be in having rewatched as many times as you have first of all i'd like that estimate of how many times you think you've seen it all fully and then but then after that what is there a storyline or a, maybe a season or any anything that sticks out to you upon uh what rewatching it more that maybe has grown on you or something you've learned and and re uh recalled in a different way yeah okay so how many times i've watched it i actually always joke that i wish netflix like had some sort of data they gave back to you the same way Spotify, you know, gives you back your top song. I don't know if I could, I don't know if I could stomach that. I just feel like (laughs) it might be more depressing than anything. I honestly, like, I, I really don't know. It's, there are certain episodes that are probably like I hunt in the hundreds. I, I, I don't even have an estimate because I would say as a whole, it's probably been, in the double digits for sure. The amount of yeah. times I've watched it through, maybe triple digits for some of them. I think season seven in particular, I've probably only watched like four or five times because it's hard for me to watch because it's sad certain episodes. Um, so I haven't watched that one as many times as I've watched the rest, but I'm like a diehard fan of seasons one and two. I know a lot of people kind of forget about those and season one got a lot of, you know, backlash at the time for not being as funny as the office or not. In hindsight, it's one of my favorites. If you watch it after watching the whole show, it's hilarious. But I would say something that I've kind of grown to appreciate more over the course of rewatching and rewatching and rewatching the show is Ron and April's relationship. I know we've talked a lot about relationships already, but for me, that one is really, really special. And I think I didn't notice it in probably until a few years in of watching the show and rewatching the show because you don't see it the first time through. It's not like Leslie and Anne or April and Andy or something very explicit. It's more underlying Ron and April's relationship as like almost a father daughter mentor type of thing. You see that April's not very close with her own father, you know, in a couple episodes, they just are super different and her and Ron are so similar in a lot of ways. And you see that kind of in the sense that he takes her on as his assistant because they're similar, but it really goes so much deeper than that. And I realized that when Ron adopts Diane's daughters as his own later on in the show, you see how good he is with little girls. And I think a lot of that is credited to his relationship with April. And -hmm. I think that that is something that I kind of saw progress over the course of watching and rewatching. It was like, why is Ron so good with these little girls like right away? And it was like, Oh, you know what? He was kind of April's dad in a way or mentor or I think as Andy calls him lacrosse coach at at, (laughs) at one point. But yeah, no, he just like plays such a good role in that 
you know, boss, mentor, second dad kind of vibe. And I think it's a really cool, special relationship of two people that are so different in their interests, but so similar in their personalities. And so, yeah, that's, that's definitely one that I kind of, now I would say it's probably one of my like top two or three like relationships that I love from the show. I think, I think that, uh, what you've touched on with the character of April in general, I don't know. I mean, outside of obviously uh, Leslie, but I think even, even, you know, uh, April could maybe give her a run for her money. I don't know if there's a character who has more kind of really strong, unique relationships with so many different characters on the show than April. I mean, you think about her and Ben have a really interesting connection. Uh, her and Chris have had, a, have a very interesting connection. It's true. Where I'm, she, thinking about, I'm thinking about April and Ben being stuck in the car together. Yeah. Being in stuck the traffic. in traffic. <laughs> yeah, and then and then working together, and then her yeah. relationship with Chris when she tries to uh, uh, you know take him to the movies and kind of pick him up, and uh, there's there's just a lot of sweet relation, and even her and with Donna, uh, yeah, the like connection they, they there with a Donna, really yeah. interesting connection by the end of the show, especially and, when she calls her. What does she say? She's a cat when she's trying to figure out yes, what kind of dog yes, she is. Yeah, right. I think we April on the fr- maybe it's just April. Then I don't know what it is, but it's like the first watch you think April is one thing, and then the second watch, yeah. third watch, fourth watch, you realize April is not that thing that you think she is. It's like I think that's where maybe Aubrey comes in a little more. You know, yeah. it's like she's a real person and like she has real feelings and she really does care about people, even though she comes off as someone that doesn't care about anyone. Yeah, yeah, and I yeah. think that's no. And I think we all kind of have that person in our life too that we know who we know we know is like secretly a softy, but they don't really show it all that often. Well, and Aubrey has been typecast as that now, even going forward. And I don't know. I th- I think Tyler has. Danny, have you seen the Happiest Season yet? I did. I did. I mean, I've, I've been saving it for like Christmas. Okay. Actually, it, but yeah. It, what I will say, and this is not a spoiler, Tyler, is that we. I feel like we get to see more of the real Aubrey Plaza in that movie. That is almost that that window to how Aubrey is playing the character of April. I mean, there there's just fewer walls there than than we see with April in Parks and Rec, and uh, that I I think that it, it just is an interesting layer to add to a rewatch of Parks and Rec. Um, it's a good point. I think I think when watching that movie, I almost feel like in a way it was like April grew up. You know, mm-hmm. it, I think we've seen Aubrey as someone in particular. I think a lot of the other cast members on the show were already like well-developed adults by the time that they were on Parks yeah. and Rec. But right. Aubrey was super young when she got cast on that show and we kind of got to grow up with her. And so I think her role in The Happiest Season is more authentic to who she is as a person because she's also grown up. But that movie was so good. If you haven't watched it yet, you really should. Definitely. Definitely. It's on the on the agenda. And yeah, I think, you know, what's also really cool to see is is you know, they didn't they didn't know that that Andy and April were going to get together right that wasn't something that was that pre you know pre uh, pre-written and so it's cool to see how the show really leaned into the actual chemistry of like the performers uh, and weren't just trying to kind of like squeeze certain storylines together for the sake of it like no let's follow the connections that are actually happening you know on screen and so I, yeah that's really special I think the same I think the same goes probably for a lot of the relationships, whether that's Ron and April or April and Ben, or yeah, you know, I think some of them were written in, but I think a lot of them were yeah. natural. And that comes back to that, like Venn diagram of like human and I, I, April. I mean, 
Leslie's character, Amy, and Rashida Jones's character, Anne, are very good friends in real life, too. Like, and that's that's right. a big reason why I think it translated so well. So that whole concept of these characters developing real friendships and then them turning that into on-air things, it does, I mean, it doesn't get much more authentic than that. Totally. No, no. totally. Question number six. What city's real-life city hall is the stand-in for the Pawnee government building? Pasadena City Hall. I go, be... I go all the time. <laughs> <laughs> it's one of the reasons why uh, I, I wanted to talk about that question was that I, I have a feeling that, yeah, there is Pasadena City Hall a special place to you now? The fact that you live in L.A. and can go visit the Pawnee government building whenever you want? It is. It's actually my favorite place in L.A., I don't know what it is. It's just you go there if you're having a bad day. I've gone quite a few times this year in particular. We are in some tough times and Parks is always there for me and there for all of us. And I feel like anytime I just drive past the building, park my car out in one of the spots out front, I just kind of have a sense of just peace. You know, you you, you brings you back to some funny times. I think about them standing on the steps when Fred Armisen comes up from oh, yeah. the sister city yeah, 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 of Baracqua, yeah. Venezuela. Um, you know, I just think of all those moments that happened on those steps, or whether it was um, Ben going on his dates with Jerry instead of Leslie, you know, outside. They were on yeah. horses, I think. Yeah. I just, it's so special. And I've been there so many times and I continue to go back. And if you're ever in LA, I highly suggest hitting up Pasadena City Hall. Just walking through the courtyard, you can walk around back there. It's beautiful. It's a beautiful building. I've taken so many photos out front in my mouse rat shirt that I'm wearing <laughs> right now. Um, but yeah, it's a really special place. And I feel so lucky that we can see it in LA all the time. Funny side anecdote is I've also been to quite a few Parks and Rec LA spots. I've been to JJ's Diner, which the interior is a, d a diner in Van Nuys. I've went and sat in the booth that Leslie goes and sits in. Oh, which diner? They don't make waffles. They don't make waffles. I forget what the diner itself is called. It's not called, they say people, there's pictures all over the walls of Parks and Rec being shot there. They don't make waffles. So we had to order hot chocolate as like with whip, the only thing you could get with whipped cream. <laughs> um, <laughs> That's a travesty. That is yeah. a travesty. I went and found the uh, house that they use as Anne's house. And there was this couple outside that lived there. And I was trying to take pictures of the house and things got pretty weird pretty fast. Um, I found the smallest park, the little square of grass. Where's that? Um, also in the Valley. Pretty much all these places are in the Valley. The one thing that I found outside of LA is I was in Atlanta back when I was in college and I was in the car with quite a few people and I scream, I'm like, stop. And everyone was like, why? Why are we stopping? The exterior that they use for JJ's Diner, not the interior, the exterior with like the Galaxy Gaming store next to it is this random strip mall in Atlanta. I get out of the car, take a photo, go back later online and Google it. And it was like a stock image from this exterior wow. of the strip mall in Atlanta. I could send you the photo, Tyler, so you can see it. But yeah, we'll put I have one side by side of me at both, you know, of the actual diner and then of me on the, this random place in Atlanta. So yeah, I've been to quite a few uh, parks and rec shooting locations <laughs> on my own for a time. Danny, <laughs> do you think that that, that experience in real life with those locations, with Amy, with Mike, that those, those are, have, have elevated your 
uh, sense of this show being real life and a connection to it that that much more? or do you think that it really is just that the show has transcended that that fourth wall yeah I think probably I think those things have probably helped break that fourth wall for me but I also think that I've also been in the lucky position where I live near a lot of these things and have been able to go in my free time I think if I was a diehard fan of the show and I lived in a different part of the country or world, I wouldn't have had the access to go and spend my weekend touring all the places that they shot Parks and Rec around LA. The Atlanta one was a total fluke. I just happened to happen upon it. Um, But yeah, I think that the show really does do a good job breaking that fourth wall because as we said, the characters are so similar to their real life actors. So I think that that probably breaks it down the most for me, but I think getting to go see those places makes it feel special as a fan of the show because you then feel even more connected to those people and those characters and the places that they were in. It's almost like reliving our ancestors history, you know, (laughs) you go to museums and it's, it's similar for me because I think everybody has the things they're passionate about, right? Whether that's you go to the NBA hall of fame or you go to, you feel connected to those players or whatever. I go to Dodger stadium. You feel connected to the people who once played there, I think for me, similarly, I feel super connected to the Parks and Rec cast when I go to these places where I know that they filmed. And yeah, it's just a special little fun thing that I like to do in my free time. Well, yeah. and it's, it's an amazing thing how just TV shows and movies and just culture, I guess, uh, pop culture in general can do this for locations where like, you know, when something that you love was shot there or took place at a certain place, it does add a, a sense of, uh, it makes that place iconic to you. Like I think about that, uh, my childhood diner growing up in Philadelphia was a place called Lanark Diner. And and this was back in the days you could smoke inside. And it was, you know, 24 hour diner. It's not like that anymore, but that is the diner though that was used in Silver Linings Playbook. Uh, oh. And it's where they have the whole, you know, the Raisin Brand conversation and stuff. And that they now have like, you know, the booth in that diner. And I think it actually saved the business because it was going out, going out of business. But now people want to go to the Silver Linings Playbook Diner. And I think it's just, it's just amazing how, you know, like the Rocky Steps in Philadelphia or anything like that, you know, the Pasadena uh, building is another perfect example of just kind of how uh, it's special. It's special to you uh, if, it's the, if the show is special to you. Well, it's amazing that places like the Pasadena City Hall has elevated to the status where even the the Liberty Bell. I mean, you think about you can put your hand on the bell or on, even on the building that the founding fathers. I mean, there's that historic relevance. And now that historic relevance is there for TV shows and movies. And that, to me, is also fascinating. And there's even more of a personal connection there. Yeah, it's pretty cool also that the cast still feels connected to it in a big way. I saw that Nick Offerman, when he voted this year, went he lives in L.A., went down to City Hall with his I Voted sticker and stood outside of Pasadena City Hall and took a photo and posted it from there um, on his Instagram page. And so I thought it was cool that even they feel that same connection to this place. And this show, especially this year, which we could also talk a little bit about, but this year has felt so politically charged in such a negative way, I think, for a lot of people, that it was really special to have Parks and Rec to watch during this time, because it's such a positive, small local government, where obviously there are some really big politicians in the show that make cameos, but when it comes down to it, we've talked about it, it's all about optimism and positivity. And so to see that be portrayed in government was really crucial to my mental health, honestly, during this time and this year, when things have been so dark on that front. 
Totally. And, and I, it was really special to see. I don't know if you watched it. Uh, I think it was what in, in Wisconsin and they did kind of a, a live Zoom kind of fundraiser or get out the vote uh, uh, Zoom uh, recording. And it, it was kind of weird because they were half in character, half not in character. And so you were, it was like enjoyable, but you're also like, that's just Adam Scott talking though. Um, but, uh, but to that point though, you could tell that the idea of, of, of getting out the vote and democracy and government and uh, working, it was not just important. Yeah. That, that wasn't just the characters that was like with instilled in the performers, the creators and, and such a, ethos of the show and i think especially in a time and for millennials especially i think have, who have grown up with let's just say a, a lack of trust in government uh, uh this is a this is yeah really a salve in terms of just uh, a a slice of of the way it should be yeah they also did that zoom episode earlier this year where they made yes. an episode i think it was I don't all know, zoom beginning, beginning of the pandemic and i honestly think it was one of the best pieces of content to come out of this time it was Agreed. so tr true to the time but without feeling forced and without feeling really poor quality for lack of a better word i think so many of them were yeah. just you know looked like zoom but this looked really good and the storyline was so on point and i just literally cried the whole time because i think <laughs> it was it was a time when i just felt so badly like i needed those positive people those friends those things that i've leaned on and i was just wondering so much like what would leslie say what would she do during this time and we actually got to see that and i yeah. thought that that was so special and it really is just like a little time capsule of this moment so beautifully made into an episode that they just didn't have they didn't have to do that you know and they did they did and and i think it's you know with some of these shows uh you know, we were talking yesterday. We were talking the other day when we when we did our friends episode about how 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 the friends aged into 2020, mm -hmm. and some of them have aged better than others, shall we say? And I think what's amazing about all of these characters is how they really still feel just as as real and vital and and of this time, right? They don't feel of a of a decade ago or anything. They still feel very much, I think, you know, uh, vital in 2020 as they were back in you know 09 when it premiered. I don't think anything has aged as well as Leslie Nope's obsession with Joe Biden. <laughs> <laughs> Question number seven. What is the name of the bar in Eagleton that Tom takes Ben to for his bachelor party? Oh gosh. There's all the weird drinks that are made of like air. Oh my gosh. Hold on a sec. Let me think. You might get me on this one because I know you're I, I going to ramp up. You know that second. I know half. you're ramping up. I mean, I know that the like the whiskey comes in a form of a lotion, the vodkas in a form of a air. I'm uh, trying yeah, to yeah, think yeah. what that bar is called in Eagleton. You know what? You you stumped me on this one. What what is it? The correct answer is you're kind of dancing around it there. Uh, around, yeah. The answer is essence. Essence. Because essence. of course there they serve the essence of the drinks in whatever yeah. form. I, I could probably recite the episode for you minus minus the name of the bar. <laughs> that's a tough one. That's really niche, but uh, yeah. I think that that comes down to me not being able to watch it as much anymore with it not being on Netflix. I got to got to get back to Peacock. <laughs> it's okay. It's a it's a tough one. I mean, that does one. that does uh lead us to a good question though. Like, do you have a favorite? uh Pawnee or Eagleton business I think one of the coolest mm. things of Parks and Rec is like there are so many different businesses small that are mentioned throughout yeah. the show small businesses restaurants you know is there a favorite one that sticks out to you 
honestly, I mean, nothing sticks out to me as much as Pawnee today with Joan Calamezzo. Yeah. It's, <laughs> that is just the prime television. Other than that, I don't know. I mean, I, I got to give some credit where credit is due to Sue Salads. She has been resilient I, through I, and through. <laughs> I love that. I love that you just said that because that was literally going to be the one I mentioned because I think <laughs> Sue Salads, people forget, is really mentioned throughout the entire series. She's the iconic part of the show. Yes, yes, yes. <laughs> and uh, and never really quite uh, never really quite given her due, shall we say. Yeah. Um, but uh, yeah, Sue Salads, a really good one. I, uh, I, I think one of my favorite jokes, though, uh, is when... Donna is they're they're touring uh places for Tom's Bistro and they're at the Jurassic Fork and yeah. they said they uh yeah it's you know our other uh Spielberg spin-off restaurant also didn't do well Schindler's Lunch and, oh. I, and I that is still like one of my favorite jokes of all time like it just got me in the moment it still gets me when I when I repeat it I just I love it Schindler's Lunch just the hilarious. writing is just so on point I mean yeah. also the charred the charred people later the charred, yes. at the farmer's market episode yes yes that was a whole a whole mood um, yes but yeah I mean there's so many good small businesses there's so many funny little bits that's that's the best part of, to me about watching the show over and over and over again is you catch those things later right yes. things that you probably would watch in passing and not hear them talk about sue salad again <laughs> for the hundredth time you know but it's funny when you when you start to be in on the jokes if you will you know well, and also all the like background supporting actors who pop up in and out and yet like when you look at the town council meetings you're like oh wait no they're they're there like they're 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 there and it's the same people every time and you just kind of don't notice they don't always have a line but it is really cool to kind of when you start recognizing the faces throughout the show so that's another easter egg a lot of those people's names in the good place whenever they show the ranking list of where people are as good versus bad. Mike sure uses a lot of those like town hall people. He uses their names on that list, ah. which I think is really funny and random. No, no that, is, that is really interesting. I mean, just the, I that would be like a, a bucket, would have been a bucket list thing for me just to like be in a town council meeting when they're when they're recording those. Totally. Especially the Patton Oswalt one would oh, have been okay. like, like, oh my God, if I had been there in that room, I don't know if I would have been able to to stay quiet with laughter. I no. feel like all the time my my boyfriend and I are always just going, Her daughter is an idiot. Her daughter <laughs> is an idiot. <laughs> Ham and mayonnaise. <laughs> We're just using his that I don't know what that guy's name is, but yeah, he's, his, yeah. he's, he's the chanter. He's always making up some or, or another one's like except for sprinkles, right? <laughs> yeah. Like, yeah. Yeah. yeah, it's so good. Uh, yeah, he's great. He's great. Question number eight. Name at least two of the three, two of the three of Ponch Burger's local fast food competitors. So we know Ponch Burger is, you know, the McDonald's of Pawnee. But like at least two of the three of their competitors. Oh gosh, I feel like I know Ponchberg and I know their child-sized drinks, but their competitors. Um, I'm on the spot now. I'm now I can't. I'm blanking. Um, Ponchbergers. Give me a sec. Let me think. Yeah, think about Le- Leslie lists these a lot. Yeah. when she's when she's talking about Ponchberger. I I think if you talk through it, you'll get it. Yeah, I'm thinking as to the times in the episodes when, you know. Jam is petitioning to get the Ponch Burger. Like, what are their competitions that they're talking about? Yeah. Mm. Yeah, these are hard. I'm, I'm, tough. I'm probably stumped on this one too. Ponch Burger competitors. 
Yeah, I don't think, I mean, I feel like I'm going to know it as soon as you I'm say, say it. As soon as we say it, I think you're going to be like, oh, of course I know this. I don't know. Shoot. All right. It's, okay. it's all right. Hey, we got, we went, we went six, okay. six to start off and we're going to, yeah, I think you're going to pull out, I think you're going to pull out these last, yeah, at least one of these last two, but those three uh, fast food competitors are big and wide. Okay. Fat sack. And then my personal favorite, Colonel Plump's slop trough. Yeah. Now that you say them, I've heard yeah. them before. I feel like we don't ever actually see them. And so don't that's really, where, yeah. Yeah. that's yeah. where I, cause I have visuals, you know, I have a visual memory. I'm like, I know totally. JJ's, I know all these places that I'm like, it's not, it's not Tommy's Bistro. I'll tell you that much. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And this is probably falling back again on the fact that it's no longer on Netflix. And so the, the Peacock game I, I is just not I haven't, I don't even, I was, I was saying, I don't even remember the last time that I've watched. Well, I mean, I watched recently, but. It went off, I think, on Octo- in October was when it moved over to Peacock. And I don't have the Peacock paid membership. So if you do watch it, you have to watch it with commercials. And I just, I guess I'm spoiled now, but I just don't want to watch Parks and Rec with commercials. <laughs> and yeah. so unless it's like Paunchburger commercials, I could probably get on board with that. But yeah, I just, they lost me a little bit. That would be great David. if they had themed commercials on so those, those NBC shows. It's just a, it's just a Johnny Karate promo. It's and then for office, it's just all Bob Vance refrigeration, just constantly. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh my gosh, that'd be so funny. Um. Well, we were, we were on the we were on the subject of food, and so I I do have like this is a show that really does love food. Yeah. And so I have to ask, I guess, to start off what your go-to breakfast food would be. Like we know oh. Leslie is, is waffles, but what, what are you personally go, go to? My go-to breakfast food. Hmm. I've been really into in quarantine making like banana chocolate chip pancakes. Ooh. That's been, I'm also a big fan of bacon and eggs as well. I feel like when I go out to restaurants, like an all American breakfast is my go-to, you know, the bacon, yeah. eggs, mm-hmm. toast. That's my, my go-to, I would say very Ron Swanson of me in public, but maybe a little more Leslie at home. <laughs> <laughs> I like that. I like yeah, that. Yeah. What about do yours? You, do you always put whipped cream on those, those banana chocolate chip pancakes or no. even, even more so? Cause I, I bananas and, and maple syrup, just is an odd combo to me, but I know that some people like it. So do you put syrup? Oh, yeah, I, love, I love me some banana. Yeah. You know what? I like the maple syrup. I'm also lactose intolerant. And so whipped cream is not my strong suit. <laughs> <laughs> I did make an exception when I was at the JJ's diner. Right, right. To put it there, but I, I suffered later. Um, I'm more of a, yeah, when it comes to pancakes, waffles, all that stuff, unlike Leslie, though I am like her in many ways, I am more of a syrup on those types of things than, than whipped cream. I think whipped cream for me is more of like on a pie or on a hot chocolate. It's not as much a breakfast food, but I completely respect Leslie's decision and, um, you know, understand the appeal for sure. Yeah. 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 You know, I, I think personally for breakfast for me, yeah, I mean, I, I can get down with bacon and eggs. I love a good breakfast sandwich. But recently, the thing that I've become obsessed with in putting on all my food, whether it be breakfast or not, is is hash brown patties. Is I oh. like that has become my new favorite thing. I put hash brown patties on my burgers, on, you know, my sandwiches. It's just, you know, I'm a, I'm a potatoes guy. Uh, and so give me some crisp, give me some crunch. But uh, I, I definitely am like, 
Ron and Leslie in that sense I could eat breakfast at, at any time. Oh, same. Breakfast or dinner is probably my favorite thing to yeah. do. I I, I think that there's one line when they say it multiple times throughout the show, but there's a callback to it at the end where Leslie goes to Ron. She's like, Ron, why do people not like breakfast food or something like that? He's like, I don't know, Leslie, people are idiots. Yeah, people are something idiots. Yeah. Along the lines of that. <laughs> I, I couldn't agree more. I'm like, when I hear friends that are like, yeah, I don't eat breakfast. I'm like, Huh? You're not living. You're not okay. living life. <laughs> yeah. I will say I found out about Tyler's love of hash browns. Uh, shout out, although not sponsored, to Grub Durham. Uh, I, that yep. was the first yep. time that I learned of Tyler's passion for hash browns. I love love me some hash browns. I mean, I've been on a with my boyfriend a breakfast burrito tour of Los Angeles. Ooh, the last- yeah the last few months we've just been kind of hitting up all the good spots and i feel like breakfast burritos have gotten more popular over time and i think that ron and andy went and got the the big head tornado, but now yeah. now they probably would like a breakfast burrito too if they had right the right right I, yeah i think they had the option yeah the meat delivery system as ron would call it yeah yeah that's a brand new meat <laughs> delivery system yeah i think if you told ron that he could get bacon and eggs in his all burrito in, yeah, yeah that would that would yeah they explode yeah. his mind right there yeah uh he would need he, he would need some of that swanson uh swanson alcohol grain alcohol to just Ooh, uh that stuff yeah. Yo, it's either that or snake juice. What would you pick? If you, had, if you had to drink what the Tammies and Leslie I, and April oh, all drink or, or snake juice. You know, I think I go snake juice because that might be my favorite episode of the entire of the entire yeah. show. I so also I, would like to keep my eyesight. Uh so that, right, that's, right, right. That's right. The, yeah, I'd probably go snake juice there too. Yeah, what do they say? It could take the paint off a car or something. Yeah, yeah I'm not exactly. gonna yeah, right, yeah, yeah, snake yeah. Juice. Or inside of a boat, I think they said, right? Uh yeah. Snake juice looked kind of fun, I'm not gonna lie. If I, I could say, do I, I mean, we're we're on lockdown now, but yeah. if I could party at the Snake Hole Lounge with some snake juice, I'm not going to say no. <laughs> I mean, you just get your Janet Snake Hole costume, and yeah, yeah. free drinks. I think, yeah, pretty uh, sure. Are you have you done that for Halloween? Because I've def we've definitely done that. Yeah, for Halloween. yeah. I was a Janet Snake Hole, and my yeah. boyfriend was Burt Macklin, FBI. Yeah, yeah Gabby. This year, graphic. this year we uh, we always kind of do something from our favorite shows. I think that was two years ago. This year we did Moira and Johnny Rose from Schitt's Ooh. Creek, which was another. Another, another another one of our favorites comedy. yeah another great yeah. comedy but yeah I, I janet snake hole is when when you go out in a costume like that burt macklin and janet snake hole the people who know who you are you know are good people you know you're like <laughs> oh yeah there, there she is there's that girl at the bar who knows who i'm dressed as because everyone like, what are are you a french person no <laughs> i'm not they're like oh davis is dressed as the fbi i'm like no he's burt macklin <laughs> anyway yeah that we, was a, a good one we have done uh, you know, a, a bunch of Parks and Rec trivias before. And I think what's always really cool, we don't always necessarily get costumes, but the amount of amazing Parks and Rec merch that's out there. I mean, you're wearing, people can't see you, but you're wearing an awesome Mouse Rat shirt that on the back has all the different names uh, for, or the former names of Mouse Rat. But we have seen some amazing, amazing yeah. Parks and Rec stuff over, over the years. And I think that's one of the also cool things about the show. There's so many things there's so many different kinds of merch you could have as we said there's so many different kinds of businesses or stuff uh like i would love i would love like a tom's bistro shirt like that'd be amazing so niche yeah when i went to the uh we could talk about it a little bit but i went to the 10-year cast anniversary at the paley Paley fest and i felt like for the first time in my life i was surrounded by all my people you know everyone was in costume everyone was wearing their merch everyone was like my level of fandom of Parks and Rec. And I looked, yeah. I went with my friend Lauren, who is equally um, as big of a fan as I am. She's also the person that I've toured all of Los Angeles with to see all these various <laughs> places. Um, 
but we looked around and we're like, we're, we're in it. Like, this is it. These are yeah. our people. Like we need to start making friends. We need to socialize. We need to get out there. Cause these are right. the people that we're going to be friends with. Yeah. It was, it was support group. Yeah. Yeah. I was like, these are the people that get us. People yeah. drove and traveled from all over to come to that event. It was very cool. Question number nine. What do the followers of Zorp, the surveyor call themselves? Not the like originalists. It's the, because originalist has to do with the constitution. I'm pretty sure. It's yes, the, yes. <laughs> they're not. They're, they're not Antonin Scalia. Right. Um, but it's something like that. I think it's. Gosh, I know we got organize it too. Engage with Zorp. <laughs> we're, all, organize it too. we're all playing our wooden flutes with Ron. I'm like yep. having the the. It's something ists, I think. I will tell you that it is something ists. You are right about that. I'll give you that clue. This is one of those ones where it's like, I just haven't heard the word in a while. Um, they're the, I'm forgetting the first half of the word. It's like, it's not, it's nothing to do with Zorp. It's like another word and then ists. I'm just, yeah. you're, you're, you're walking, you're, like, you're I, turning I, around it. You know, know it. It's like, it's like, it's, something with an i maybe i don't know i think i'm 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 that's that's as far as i could probably get with this one without spending all day on it like the, all good the answer was yeah let's hear it the reasonableists reasonableists there we go yeah the originalists was like on the right track you were there i mean that's almost that, that's it's you hard. almost got that and well, of course a they're, again. they're always willing to change the end of the world uh so that it's convenient <laughs> for leslie's exactly. planner the so, calendar yeah yeah yeah, that's a great episode. That one's really funny that your face is just going to melt off if you see him. Oh, I feel like not a good Parks and Rec fan that I'm not getting all these right. Now I'm like... Oh, these are... We are we're hitting you with the with the yeah. AP Parks and Rec once studying. again. I was studying last night. Like, looking up all these. I even knew Jurassic Fork. You got, you got Jurassic Fork. <laughs> well, we, always, we, we didn't say it at the beginning of this podcast, but we always say that trivia is so much, uh, I mean, it, it is about that, uh, the ability to conjure up that information that you have stacked away in those binders yeah. uh, that Leslie loves so much. But specifically, it's also about learning and about having fun. And so yeah, even, totally. even without uh, those binders being readily available, I mean, they're there somewhere. They're there. Like I, could, like I said, I could probably recite everything that was happening in the episode. I'm more of like a visual person, but when it comes totally. to individual words like that, I'm like, ooh. Yeah. Well, once again, you will have that forever now. Reasonableness, essence, these, totally. are, these are things burned in your brain. I mean, you, how can you ever forget Colonel Plum's slop drop? So, I yeah. mean, that's, you that's got also, it. I mean, that's a really hard string of words to get. Yes. <laughs> yes. It is. I don't even know if I can say that. I'll, Colonel Plum's slop drop. Yeah. Yeah. Plum yeah. yeah. And speaking about those specific moments, I mean, do you have a favorite season or episode? I would say by far my favorite season is season three. It always has been. I think always will be. It's the one season that I like bought the hard copies of um, mm. back in the day. I like bought, I was like, I need the the discs. <laughs> now I don't even have a DVD player, but I have the discs. Um, and I would say my favorite episode long-standing is flu season part one not yeah, part two, yeah. Which mm -hmm, later. Yeah. flu season season three episode two i believe that is or episode one it's one of the very early ones of season three i think it might be one um yeah. it's very early in season three 
But that's my favorite episode. There are so many good lines, so many good moments. We talked a little bit briefly earlier about the network connectivity problems, the improv moment from yes. Chris Pratt. Yep. We have Leslie getting out of the cab and <laughs> saying, do you know the conversion rate for Egyptian hieroglyphics? Got <laughs> chamber of Secrets instead of the Chamber of Commerce. Like that yeah. episode, I could probably top to bottom, like just recite it. But also it is so funny seeing Chris just like throw up in a drawer like just the whole <laughs> the whole thing. That's probably my favorite episode, which then comes from my favorite season because season three, we get the like revival of Harvest Festival. It ends with the Harvest Festival. And I think that's when I really, really started to have a deeper love for the characters. I started watching it, like I said, when it was on air. And that was when I knew that this was my favorite show. You know, it wasn't just mm -hmm. like, oh, this is a show that I like, that I'm keeping up with, that I'm watching. It was like that, that those discs were what I took with me when I studied abroad in London and I didn't know anybody and I didn't have any friends. I didn't know where the heck I was. And I would just put them in my computer and watch those at night. And it gave me like a sense of, okay, everything's going to be okay. Cause this is the constant in your life. And these are yeah. the shows and these are the people. Um, and so, yeah, season three has been there for me through a lot. And I, I, I never get tired of them. It's one of those things where, you know, you watch season three over and over and over again. You're like, are you sick of it? I'm like, no, it's still my favorite season. I'll watch it again. Yep. Yeah. yeah. What, what about you guys? What's your favorite season slash episode? I think Tyler said his favorite episode was the Snake Hell Lounge. Snake yeah, that that would that'd be up there. There's also, I don't know if you my favorite, uh, you know, there there's another episode. I, I believe it's season two. I think it's on the back half of season two. I think it's when... Um, you know, they do like they they end up uh, Andy and April end up getting the picture right together that ends up going on the the cover of the summer magazine. Catalog. Summer catalog. Yeah, the summer catalog. Yeah. Um, and I think that it's that episode that I love because I think that is the episode when the show to me shifts and really kind of like finds its groove. Like it's kind of like the first half of season two. It's it's doing well. Like it's still I still love it, but it's not quite where where it's at at season three, as you're alluding to, where it's just like it's firing all cylinders. It's absolutely like everyone's just on their A game. They know who these characters are. And I think that is the episode and rewatching it uh, as much as I have too, that I'm like, that's it starts shifting right there of like the Andy and uh, Andy and April thing is planted and that becomes such a central driving force of the show for the next couple seasons and i yeah i just love i love that episode too i need to rewatch it now under that lens i like that yeah, yeah, yeah cool. I, I mean i season three is is certainly the most rewatchable of all of the seasons so i feel like that as a season goes at the top but for me and there there are reasons behind this that go deeper than parks and rec but for me uh london is probably my mm. favorite. I mean, obviously I'm, I'm taking both as a, as a two-parter there. Yeah. Um, but I mean, having, having spent six years of my life in, in Glasgow, anytime that you, I can go back to the UK in a, in a TV show or uh movie, I'm, I'm going to take it. And I also just love the fact that Andy finally gets his moment of redemption as like a competent mm. human being. I, totally. I, I we we get we get to see him at competent emotionally but we never get to see him competent as, as a essentially what amounts to an employee at a certain level i mean that's where he heads and and so i just i like the fact that he gets a redemption moment um and there are also 
uh, John Ralphio storylines and Mona Lisa storylines going on yeah, back in yeah. the US. Well, you get the Ron Swanson, the, like, well, it's probably one of the best sequences of the history of the show, him walking with the sheep and then, you know, exactly. doing, doing lo- drinking Lagavulin and all that. Though, so, though, yeah. though, in typical Andy fashion, he does think that he's at Hogwarts when he's in yeah, London. Yes. So <laughs> yeah, he does. Ground, ground him back to where he is, yep. you know? Yeah. It's important, it's important to me. What is Ben's? He's like, it's important to me that you know that this isn't actually Hogwarts. <laughs> right, right. And then he, he also ends up at, at Stonehenge. Where like, I love that they just like went all the way out to Stonehenge, which is not yeah. an easy place to get to just no. for what literally was like seven, se- less than seven seconds. Yeah. So on screen time. And it's, uh, yeah. it's fascinating too, because Randy, uh, or not Andy, Andy gets the red- redemption part uh, in that episode but then ben also gets humbled in that episode a little bit and i i yeah. also like the the fact that i mean i do see myself in ben and and seeing that moment where you know what you can just reel it back to connecting with someone on a personal level and that is just as important as coming in with all of this information um, and so it's just, I think, a nice- I think it, it breaks down the layers of Ben too, right? Cause Ben at that point, well, at that point, you know him very well, but I'm thinking back also to season three, you know, you have Ben come in as this very like hard exterior, you know, yeah. and you don't realize like his past, he was like the kid mayor and uh, of Partridge, Minnesota or whatever. And I think you get to start to see him like grow from that experience for the first time, rather than resent that experience. Yeah. You know, he yeah. starts to be like, Oh, this is a fully formed human again, where it's like, he's evolving and changing and not resenting his past as much anymore, but rather growing from it, which is cool. That, that would also be uh, up there as one of my, uh, maybe not like my favorite episodes, but just like favorite moments of the entire show when Ben goes on uh, the Purds, Purds show um, and just like has a complete, complete breakdown. Uh, oh my and God, just, it's so good. Like, it's so good. And he just acts it so well. Like he just, he, he just nails it. And I know it's coming, but it, it just, uh, it breaks me down every time. Well, the best part of that is when then Ron takes a, a picture of him or he's like, boom, is that Ron? I think that was, yeah. 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 That was Ron. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, for, yeah. for Andy's, uh, for wait, April's sister's, uh, photography assignment, right? project. Yeah, photography. Yeah. Andy then, I don't remember. It was someone in that episode. But yeah, it was no, no, and, I, I think Andy took it. Or no, it's Ron took it, but it was for Andy or Andrew and April's sister. Question number 10. I want you to either name the real life lead singer or name the character of the band Land Ho. I know what he looks like and the episodes he's in. <laughs> I could have said Land Ho, but I don't know if I know his real name. Well, so you're going once again, you're going to learn something new here. Yeah. That's why we do trivia. That would be Mr. Jeff Tweedy, who, of yeah, course, is the lead singer of Wilco, the uh, renowned rock band Wilco. And then the character's That's name was Scott Tanner. But yeah, uh, Jeff Tweedy making a, not the only uh, uh, rock and roll person to make an appearance on no. the show, uh, but what, maybe certainly one of the bigger names. Uh, you have yep. Yeah, I mean, genuine, <laughs> obviously. Yeah. There are so many good cameos. We have like, I mean, we had Joe Biden, John McCain, Michelle oh, yeah. Obama, oh, I think yeah. Madeleine Albright. Like, yep. they had so yep. many incredible yep. people. It was, in hindsight, you watch that back and you're like, they really did that. Yeah, they really did that. And they, like, they were, you know, they got Michelle Obama. Yeah, I mean, yeah. They just, it's just unbelievable. Jim Irsay, Andy Luck. 
or yeah, Andrew Luck, Reggie Wayne. Yeah, yeah, the oh, sports yeah. guys, all the sports guys. Chris Bosh yeah. pops up one time. Like, yeah, it's it's Corey really Hibbert, amazing. When he and I have like relevant. I have a, a a dumb question. Is Detlef Shrimp a real basketball player? Yeah, he is. Because he 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 yep. he's in um, it a whole lot. Yeah, yeah, he's in a whole lot. Yeah, let's say he he pops up a lot. Uh, uh, yeah, underrated but, like small character roles, similar to some of those like recurring city yeah. hall meeting. You know, the open forums. Like he's kind of has a role sort of like that. Absolutely. Yeah. No, he you know, he pops he pops up quite a bit. That's funny. I didn't realize that. Yeah, I just am thinking back to the episode where um the diabetes let's diabetes this telethon where, <laughs> where Tom was supposed to get debt left from the airport and yeah, yeah, yeah. He was at the snake hole lounge the whole time. That was hilarious. That whole episode, oh my gosh, that episode is a whole stuff. We haven't talked at all about Mark Brandanaquits either. Yeah, yeah. I so <laughs> Brandanaquits. I you know <laughs> I I think uh I was, I'm glad you brought him up because I think this actually is going to lead us really well into our, we have a final kind of three questions for you yeah. that we kind of ask every, everybody about their, their subject of expertise. But I don't know if this will be uh, what your answer is or not, but it might, I think it is probably a lot of Parks and Rec fans answers, which is if you could change one thing about Parks and Rec, what would it be? That's interesting. Um, I think I actually don't know the name of the actor who plays Mark Brandenowitz, but I bet uh, Paul, Paul Schneider, I believe Paul, is his name. He, he probably has a lot of regrets about leaving. I would imagine. Cause I think it was mm. his choice, but yeah. if I could change anything about the show, gosh, I mean, for me, I think the only thing I wish is like, it would have gone on longer. Right. I think that <laughs> the only thing that I wish I could have changed from a logistical standpoint is that I wish the show didn't think that it was on its last legs every season, because I think that, that is never a good place for a comedy to be. When I look at shows like Schitt's Creek that decided to end when they wanted to end, I think that the final season got to be so much better and got to tie up so many loose ends on their terms rather than on a network's terms. And I yeah. think for Parks and Rec, if you watch the show, you could tell at the end of season four, at the end of season five, at the end of season six, you don't know if they know that they're going to get no, another season. Did. They didn't. And, that, and that to me just straight up sucks, you know, because I think the yeah. end of season six with the unity concert, it's so clear to me that that was a moment when they thought that it could have been over. Then they yeah. got season seven and parts of season seven to me felt less authentic than the rest of the show, though I did still love it because it was just like they had only 13 episodes to tie everything up very quickly or it was a half a season, whatever it was. So right. I think that's what I would change is I would wish that they would have just known, okay, listen, you're going to get to six and a half, seven, you know, yeah. do what you want with it up until that point. Because I think sometimes at the end of each season, it almost felt like a forced wrap up because they weren't sure. And that's not to the fault of the, the writing or the show or the cast or anything or the crew. That's to the fault of the networks being so stingy with viewers. I think Parks and Rec may have not had the most viewers on air at the time but they needed to look closer at the quality of the viewers rather than yes. the quantity. Because I think if they had looked closer at the quality, they would have seen the evergreen, you know, ability that the show had and has proven to have over time. So many of, you know, I have a younger sister who she and all of her friends have discovered this show on their own over time. And it has a yeah. cult following now of people who, my sister thought Parks and Rec was a Netflix show. Like she didn't realize <laughs> right, right. it was NBC. So I think that's where, the biggest thing I wish I could change would be is I wish that they could have seen known how long it was going to go. So they could have done what they wanted with those six and a half, seven seasons more yeah. than they would have, if you know, they had 
thought that they were going to end every year. Yeah, and even yeah. if even if they had known that they could have syndication, I mean, of the totally. of the show that that's going to make whatever money that you were concerned about missing out on in the in the first run back within the second run. But then you also have all of these rights deals that we just didn't know at that point. Yeah. Yeah, and it you know I was someone who who watched it from from day one and was watching it in real time uh, and. You know, as, as someone who also follows the industry, it really—I mean—they really did not know if they were ever, if they were going to get picked no. up, and and it was oh, it was not just like the no, but it was dramatic every time. It was always okay. kind of like down to the wire, twenty fifth hour. Oh yeah, I guess we'll renew Parks and Rec, and it it was kind of like the, the little show that could like it, it, the fact that it even lasted as long as it did is almost a, a miracle. But it was also kind of one of those shows that it, I mean, it, as you were mentioning, Danny got a huge Netflix bump. But that, but it didn't quite get that full Netflix bump while it was on the air. I think maybe towards the maybe the very last season, maybe it had kind of gained some of those fans through Netflix. But it was really only until it went off the air that I think it truly kind of gained that that cult following, if you yeah. will. Yeah, I, I just always think that's a bummer. I think now it's so much more common for shows to get renewed for multiple seasons. I think. Right. Like I remember when I was working at NBC, This Is Us got renewed for three seasons, like right when it you know, had its first season. And same with, um, I know Stranger Things did the same thing with Netflix. It's like yeah. so many of these shows now, maybe those are more dramas and I don't know if it's the same for comedies, but so many more of these shows now are just like, okay, you get three more seasons, which I think gives the writers and the crew and the creators and the cast so much more knowledge that they're going to have time with these characters and it allows, and honestly, I really wouldn't change anything about Parks and I think that it's perfect the way it is, but I wish for their sake that they had just known because I think it would have made you know, the ends of seasons more at ease and not feel like yeah. they have to wrap things up in a yeah. way that we then come back and it's like, oh yeah, that didn't matter, I guess. You right, know? right, 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 yeah. right. Well, and your answer leads perfectly, I would say, into our next question, which is number one, there there's there have been rumors. There always are rumors, but number one, address the rumor for us. Should there be a reunion? Uh whether it's it's a six six uh episode uh specials or whether it's a single episode and then the follow-up to that would be what would you want to happen in that reunion special if it happened yeah um they actually did talk about this at the paley fest that i that i went to the 10-year anniversary because i they get that question a lot too for me i don't like reboots very much i find that they kind of ruin what was once perfect and tied up with a bow you know um but I felt differently after I saw the Parks and Rec coronavirus episode that we saw this year. I was like, oh, wait, this is actually really cool. And at the Paley Fest, they did mention, you know, reunions and people asking them about that all the time, especially, you know, coming from NBC where they have Will and Grace doing really, really well right now right, at, yeah. at, at a, as a reboot. Um and, you know, we've had Fuller House and so many of these shows that actually have been successful. And then we've had plenty that are in my opinion, not good. Yeah. Um, the cast at the time, the Paley Fest was all the cast and Mike Schur up at the front. And they said that they would want to maybe do some sort of like Parks and Rec movie because it was something oh, okay. that they hadn't done. It was like, we would have to, 
and, and they were very clear that they would have to have a reason to do it. And right. and I completely agreed with everything that they said. They're like, we wouldn't just do it to do it. We would have to do it because X, because Y, because Z. And I think that that was perfectly evident in their coronavirus episode. It was like, okay, we now have a reason to get back together in character. And so let's do it. And I think that's why it works so well is because while a lot of other shows, you know, gathered during the coronavirus and did reunion kind of things, Parks and Recs worked the best because they worked in government. They worked in yeah. local government. So it made sense for them to reunite. So I think, again, going forward, if I were to see some sort of reunion or movie or new episodes, I'd want it to have a purpose. I'd want it to have a sense of this is why we're doing it. And that's very clear. And I think that at first my gut reaction was like, no, don't touch it. It's perfect. But I think now that I've seen what they are capable of doing with a purpose, you know what? Sure. I'm never going to say no to more Parks and Rec content, you know, like for me, for me, that's kind of where I stand with it. I, I think a movie would be fun because it's something totally different from what they've done before. And a lot of them have been in movies, have done movies since Parks and Rec. And so to see something that we once saw as a TV show, like how it plays in a longer form, for me would be really fun. Yeah. And I mean, it's completely different, but we've seen it work with Downton Abbey. I mean, have have, yeah. a, have mm-hmm. a movie and that was that was successful. Yeah. And I think I think it's actually a similar comparison, too, in terms of just shows that uh, have a lot of characters to cover, right? In terms of updating what they're doing and kind of giving them each their own little story arc. And uh, I, but yeah, I think Parks and Rec, similar to Downton, could absolutely uh, pull that off. And I just want to backtrack just for one sec, just to say, because you did mention Mark Brandanowitz. I just want to bring him back, but to say that I think one of my only small, uh, uh, not even a critique, but just my my qualm with, with uh, the show would be that I wish, and it's probably not, it's probably he didn't want to come back, but I wish they had brought him back at one point just oh, yeah. to kind of, just to check in and you give him a one episode arc and maybe yeah, you could bring in a little jealousy building up uh, between Ben and Leslie or something. Like the uh, way but, they did with Dave, like the way they right. did with, with um, yes, uh, Louis C.K. Louis character. Yeah, yeah, exactly. But I, I think but I, he really is, you forget because uh, he's not, you know, he doesn't stay on the show, but he is such a, I mean, he's pretty much like the second lead almost uh, in that first season. Yeah. Really? And, yeah. And, and so it's kind of interesting that they never were able to bring him back to just give him a little, a little button. Even um, in season seven, when they bring back basically literally every everyone, character. Everyone. And we don't get him. Show. Yeah. That must've been coming from him, which like I said, like at that point, was he just like, I, again, I don't know this actor, but was he just like sour that he had, right. he had decided right. to step out on this show that now is a huge success. I don't know. But yeah, I mean, that's definitely a weird thing that happened and he kind of just dropped off and it almost it almost felt like a plot hole. All right. Here's our our final question of the episode for you. Final question of the day. So uh, we don't know where you stand with aliens, but both Pax and I tend to uh, tend to think that there's a there's alternate life that exists in the universe. So if one day aliens do come down, they came down tomorrow, in fact, and you were the one, Danny Golub who has chosen to communicate uh, what Parks and Rec is to them oh, and my. why they would like it and should watch it. How, But they know nothing. They know nothing about uh, television or the show or anything. How are you pitching Parks and Rec to our new alien invaders? Oh, my. Well, I think for me, do aliens know what TV is? Do they know what government is? <laughs> how how they, people they, are getting? They, yeah, they, they know yeah. what entertainment is. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I think... I think what you would say about Parks and Rec is it's the best show of all time because you get to uplift your spirits while 
seeing friends, relationships, and careers grow and thrive and, you know, live in this positive, optimistic world that's kind of like this bubble that doesn't necessarily exist in real life, but they've created it and set an example for all of us to kind of follow in these footsteps of these people. And if everyone treated each other the way they treat each other on the show, the world would be a better place. That 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 is for damn sure. Very yeah, welcome. I think that's that's something we can all strive for uh, in Parks and Rec is in terms of this is maybe not yeah. a reality, but it's absolutely a ra- reality to shoot for and to, to idealize. So. It's almost funny how the characters that are hateful and sort of like bigotry, if you will, it's like that's the Marshall and Marshall Langmans of the show that are made into f- something funny. You know, yeah. it's like yeah. they're laughed at, whereas the people that for the most part, are just accepting and loving and embrace everybody for exactly who they are, maybe minus Oren. Um, <laughs> you know, they it, it's a show, it's this little like euphoria, if you will, this perfect yeah. community where everybody treats each other with love and respect and kindness. And like, if we could just all do more of that again, the world would be better. It's a very, it's a very judgment-free show, totally. and uh, and I think yeah, that's definitely something we strive for. And hopefully, hopefully, you're not uh, listening out there and judging this show too hard. Uh, but we uh, we had a great time talking with you, Danny. Thank you so much for stopping by and uh, playing trivia with us. Thank you, thank you for having me. I'm sorry I got a couple wrong. You know, I feel like if you're listening to this and you got some wrong, now you don't have to feel as bad because even myself who. I one time at one time considered myself a Parks and Rec expert. Now tonight I'm gonna have to question that. But um, <laughs> maybe you could feel a little less hard on yourself if you two have maybe failed to fail the quiz of yours lately. I think I got what like a, a D, a, a C. Well, we got six six out of ten. So, so you know, I think it's a passing grade, yeah. passing grade. Passing and you know what? Grade. We can always have you uh, always Please. have you back again. All right. So so yeah. yeah. But thank you so much for coming on. Thank you for listening to Trivial Pursuits and uh, we'll see you next time.